Hey, good morning, everyone. If uh, we haven't met yet, my name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus, and uh, I'm really excited to be able to share with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. Feel free uh, to grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, I want to invite you to keep one of those uh, Bibles that is on the floor around you there. That'll be our gift to you. But uh, if you've been with us over the last past or the past several weeks, as Kevin pointed out, uh, we've been in a study uh, called Through the Lens, and we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus as they're recorded in the book of John. And what we said all along is this, that the miracles of Jesus really point to something greater. Now, everybody wants to see a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle in their own life, in their own job, in their own marriage. But what I hope that you've been noticing, if you've you've been here over the past several weeks, uh, is that while the miracles themselves are worth celebrating, There's something so much greater because the miracles were meant to point us toward the Messiah. And if we celebrate the miracle but we miss the Messiah, then we've really missed the whole point. And that's a truth that we're going to continue to build on today. And I'm really excited to share this story today with you. It's a, a story that I've, I've come to just grow, uh, to grow in, in loving. And, uh, and the, the main character in this story is just a, a really cool guy, I think. Sometimes we make you wait until the very end of the message to fill out your notes page. Well, we're going to switch it up today, okay? You get to fill out your whole notes page right now. The payoff comes right now, right at the top of the message. Here's what I want you to understand when you walk out of these doors this morning. If you're taking notes... It's because of what Christ has done in us, we have nothing to fear, and we can boldly proclaim his love to others. That's what I want you to understand when you walk out of here in just a few short minutes. That's what we're going to see today in John chapter 9. Now, before we get into the text, uh, I want to give you just a little bit of background. It's important to note that uh, Jesus' popularity in John chapter 9 is on the decline In the early days, everybody loved Jesus. And who doesn't love a guy who can turn your water into wine, right? That's a guy that we can know and love. But but now Jesus has started saying some really hard things. He's now clearly presenting himself as the Son of God. And in John chapter 8, Jesus has just told the religious leaders, Before Abraham was, I am. And so now he's elevating himself above Abraham. And the religious leaders wanted to kill him for it. And they try to kill him for it at the end of John chapter 8, but Jesus slips away. And that's where we find him here at the beginning of John chapter 9. Let's look at it together. Uh, This is on page 747 if you're using the house Bible. It says this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples understood something about the effect of sin on this world. They understood that everything that is broken in our world is a result of sin. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates everything, and he declares that all of it is good. There is no sin. There is no brokenness. There is no disease. There is no death. It's all good. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens, and everything goes south. Sin enters the picture, and the book of Romans tells us that all of creation has been groaning ever since. Everything broken in this world, in your life and in mine, is a result of sin. And the disciples got that part right, but then they take it a step further and they ask the question, who specifically sinned to cause this man's blindness? Was it this man or was it his parents? Who messed up? 
Who did the deed that caused this blindness? And it's kind of a ridiculous question if you think about it, because the man was born blind. So if it was his sin that caused his blindness, he would have had to have been sinning in the womb. That's kind of crazy to think about. I tried to think of a way to illustrate that. Like, what did they think he was doing in there? But everything I came up with was inappropriate, so we'll just move on. But haven't we all asked a question like this? Like, haven't we been in a place where something goes wrong and we just, we want to know why? You know, whose fault is it? Or, or what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? And what we need to come to understand is that the brokenness that we experience in our lives is not necessarily the result of our individual sin. It might be. Sometimes it is. I mean, there is consequence for sin. But here's the bigger picture. Because of Adam's sin, you and I were born into a broken world. Things in the world as you and I know it are very different than the world of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's the reason why we experience things like cancer and all kinds of disease. It's the reason why we, we, we experience death and why that's now a reality for us. It's the reason why some kids grow up without a mom and a dad. And sometimes the reason why mom and dad grow old without their kids. It all points back to Genesis chapter 3 because things in this world don't work the way God designed them to. It's all tied back to that original sin. So to go through life always trying to make sense of every circumstance by tying it to this sin or to that sin or, or because I did this, well, that happened. Well, that's not always the case. The fact is we live in a world that has been affected by sin and because of that we experience brokenness. But here's what I want you to see this morning. It's that even in a world that has been broken by sin, God can still use our circumstances for his glory. That's what he's about to do. Look at, at uh, Jesus' response to his disciples in verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, you guys are so focused on the why. Why did this happen? Here's why. He was broken. He was born into a broken and sinful reality, just like every one of us. But Jesus says, this is going to be for God's glory. Stop trying to tie it to this sin or that sin and watch what God's about to do. Jump to verse 6. It says, after saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. So this is kind of strange, uh, maybe even a little bit gross. Uh, I know some of you who are germaphobes are probably reaching for the hand sanitizer even as we read this, but Jesus spits on the ground, and he makes a little bit of mud, and he rubs that mud on the man's eyes. And, and, and while you and I might read that, and we might get a little bit grossed out, or, or maybe you've read it and you've never really thought very much about it, I bet the blind man was fully engaged. Because I have to believe that this was a man who a lot of people talked about, but few people took the time to really notice. I bet he was a man who lived in the shadows of society. I bet he was viewed as a problem that no one wanted to deal with. Even the disciples, they want to talk about him, but they don't go to him. But what does Jesus do? He goes to this man, and he touches him, and he rubs this mud over his eyes, and he tells him to go. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then John gives us this very important side note. Did you see it there in, in verse 7? It says this. It says, this word means sent. That word salome, it means sent. 
Isn't that interesting? Why, why didn't Jesus just kind of wave his hand and give this guy his sight back? Why, why didn't he just touch his eyes and give him sight or even make the mud and, and put it on him and then give him his sight? Why did he make uh, the man find his way to the pool called Scent? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think Jesus was looking for faith. I think Jesus was looking for obedience. And I think he was giving this man his new mission in life, that he would be sent to show the glory of God wherever he went. And we're going to see how that played out in just a minute. But when Jesus tells this man to go and wash, don't you think that he's going to remember the name of that pool for the rest of his life? Don't you think that he's going to identify with it from this day forward? I sure do. And I think Jesus was intentional in sending this man to the pool called Sent. So the man goes, and he does as Jesus instructed him, and for the first time in his life, he can see. Think about that for a minute. The man who never saw the face of his parents now knows exactly what they look like. You know, he, he never knew how one shade of green could be so different than another shade of green, but now he sees it with absolute clarity. He could feel the heat of the sun on his face, but now he, he sees it for the first time and how it lights everything up around him. And how about that first sunset? I mean, don't you think this man would have been absolutely overwhelmed by the things that, that you and I just take for granted? And he can't be quiet about it. People begin asking him, you know, how did this happen? And he tells them the story, you know, he made the mud and I went and I washed. And they say, they say well, who did this? And he says, it's the one they call Jesus. And they say, where is he? And he says, I don't know. You know, I, I don't even know what he looks like. He hasn't even seen Jesus to this point. He just knows that Jesus said, go and wash. And, and in obedience, he did it and his sight was restored. Now watch what happens next. Jump down to verse 13, and this is the part in the movie where the sky goes black and the dark, heavy music comes in, and and here come the Pharisees. Okay, here's what it says. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Hold on a second. This man was born blind. He's been given back his sight. Now he can see, and you're upset because someone wasn't resting? Okay, there's a part of this as a parent that is legit, okay? I'll, I'll admit uh, that when my kids were very young and they took naps in the afternoon, that was some glorious time, okay? That was time that you looked forward to, just that break from the constant motion and the neediness of those kids. But every once in a while, we'd have one of those days where they would just fight it. And I mean, they would not stay in their beds. They did not want to take a nap. Any of you young parents fighting that battle right now? Oh, man, it's so frustrating. You think you're going to get a break and some time to yourself, and then here comes little Junior. I need some water. I need a cracker. I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to be like, you know what I need? I need a hole in my head. Stay in your bed, right? (laughs) It's so frustrating. But you know what? If one of my kids would have come out and said, hey, Dad, I know it's nap time, but I just found a 1000 bucks, and I just wanted to give it to you, I wouldn't be like, Kid, I told you to stay in bed, right? Go get back in bed. Or or if Josiah came out and he was like, hey, Dad, I know it's nap time, but your truck's been sounding funny, and so I fixed the alternator. 
I'd be like, Josiah, you don't need nap time. You need to go get a job, right? And I'd be celebrating it with him. But the Pharisees, they can't get past it. They can't see the beauty of the miracle because somebody's breaking their rules. And they started fighting amongst themselves. You know, he broke the rules. He's a sinner. But, but how can a sinner perform these signs? And, and they were kind of divided. So in verse 17, they turned again to the blind man. What have you say to, uh, have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and the man replied, he's a prophet. But they still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? So here comes mom and dad, and surely, you know, they're going to clear this up, right? I mean, their son's been miraculously healed. They they must be celebrating. Uh, He can't be quiet about it. Surely mom and dad feel the same thing, right? Verse 20 says, "We, We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know lie. That is a lie. Ask him, they said. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the religious leaders. They lied because they were afraid. They knew he healed their son. In verse 11, the blind man is telling everybody it was Jesus. It's the man they called Jesus. He's the one who healed me. But his parents didn't answer the question because they were afraid of the religious leaders. And what they would do to them. I wonder if any of you have ever known the right answer, uh, but you didn't give it because you were afraid. You know, maybe, you know, what would they think? Or I don't want to hurt the friendship, or I don't want them to think I'm a Jesus freak, you know. I've been there. I wonder if some of you could admit you have too. What do you do in those moments when you know the Lord is telling you to say something, but, but man, it's kind of putting yourself out there, isn't it? Just last weekend, my, my wife shared a story with me where this kind of played out. She'd gone to Kroger to pick a few things up, and as she was checking out, she noticed that uh, the young man who was bagging her groceries had a tattoo on his arm that said, there is no peace. And as she went out to the, the car to load the groceries, the Holy Spirit just very gently told her, um, I want you to go in there and talk to him. And so she did, and she went back in, and she said, hey, can I see your tattoo? And he showed it to her, and And uh, she said, do you believe that? And he said, yeah, I do. And she said, you know, I used to believe that too. I used to feel that same way. But since I found Jesus, I've realized that that's not true anymore. And in that moment, she just very simply spoke truth into that young man's life. And, And who knows how that one step of obedience might mark his future. But it reminds me of what Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, in verse 20, 28, where he says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Don't be afraid of men. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid of men. What can man do to you? What could they possibly do to you? Fear God. He's the one who has all the power and all authority over everything. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. But, but whoever disowns me before men, I'm going to disown them before my Father. He's looking for radical obedience. Who do you fear? And I know it's kind of putting yourself out there. But man, what, what Jesus has done in our lives, man, isn't, isn't that worth it? 
what, what Jesus has done for you and me, isn't it worth it to put ourselves out there? That's what we see in the story. Mom and dad, they're afraid of men. They lie to get themselves out of the situation, not the blind man. Man, he's been changed by Jesus. He won't back down. And look at what happens next in verse 24. It says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, this Jesus, that he's a sinner. He replied, Whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And what a simple truth. Sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers before we can talk to somebody about Jesus, don't we? You know, like, what if they're smarter than me or they ask me a question about end times or dispensationalism or or something crazy like that, and I don't know what to say, and, you know, I don't want to look like a fool. You know, if you've ever been there, take a note from the blind man. He says, I don't know the answers to all these questions that you're asking, but one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. And you don't have to be a theologian with a Bible degree to share what Jesus has done in your life. Just tell people. Tell people what he's done for you. I used to be like this, and now I'm like this. But Jesus got a hold of my heart, and he's changed everything. What has he done for you? If it's true, no one can argue about that. No one can argue. And in talking to others about Jesus, don't lose sight of the fact that what matters most is Christ in you. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, remember, they've already asked him this once before. So they're circling around. And he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. What, do you want to hear it again? You know, do you want to be his disciples too? I really like this guy. (laughs) I really like this guy. I, I love him because he strikes me as the kind of guy whose mouth has gotten him into some trouble. And as a man who has a mouth that's gotten him into some trouble... I can relate with this guy. These, these Pharisees had the power to throw this man out, to punish him, probably to kill him. I mean, we know what they did to Jesus, right? But he doesn't care. He's not afraid. What can man do to me? I already told you once, you didn't listen to me. You want to be his disciples too? It's so great. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man. But if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's just going after these religious leaders, and he's not afraid, and he's not holding back. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And what courage. What obedience. This man was on a mission to go and to show the glory of God in his life. Jesus said the blindness was so that the work of God could be revealed. And I believe that the work of God wasn't simply the miracle. I believe that it, was, it, it wasn't just the fact that this man had been blind and now he could see, but that the work of God was that this man, the one who was sent, would now spend the rest of his life going and telling about Jesus, the Son of God who had healed him. And he wasn't going to shut up about it. He was not going to be quiet. I wonder if any of you have ever felt that kind of boldness in your life. As I was thinking about this uh, message, this story came back to my mind. And uh, when we were living in in Michigan, I got in the routine of riding my bike for uh, 
for exercise. And we lived in the country, and uh, we had a lot of folks who, who, had Am- who were Amish, and they had Amish farms around us. And so uh, it was just a beautiful place to, to ride my bike. And one day while I was out riding, I came up on a farm that was owned by an Amish couple named Sam and Martha. And uh, I noticed that in the front yard, Martha was out with uh, two of her young children kind of hiding behind her dress, and, and she was waving a stick in the face of a bull. And the bull was kind of dropping his head and, and pushing in at Martha. And you might seem, think that that seems kind of unusual, but this was Bronson, Michigan, not Hamilton County. And, and I can honestly tell you that as I first encountered it, I didn't even think twice about it. I just said, hey, Martha. And, uh, and she said, hi. And uh, I could tell by the tone of her voice that something wasn't right. And so I said, Martha, do you need help? And she said, if you want to, which, which is Amish for, please help me, I'm about to get trampled by a bull. And so I jumped off my bike, and, uh, and I ran up to this bull, and I yelled in his face, hey! And, uh, and to my surprise, he turned and ran. Now, I don't know anything about bulls, okay? I've watched a couple rodeos, but that's about it. And uh, I noticed that Martha had a stick, and so I got a stick too. And uh, I figured she knew more about bulls than I did. And I spent the better part of the next half hour chasing this bull around the yard, trying to get it back in its pen. Sometimes I was chasing him. Sometimes he was chasing me. But, uh, but eventually, uh, as we're running around the yard chasing this bull, I noticed a piece of rope laying in the road. Now, I mentioned I've seen a few rodeos. And uh, I thought, I'm a city boy, you know, with no lassoing skills whatsoever. I'm going to rope this bull. So I made a, a slip knot in the rope, and, uh, and I, I tried to throw it over this bull's horns. And, and time and time again, I kept missing, couldn't get this. Every, he'd move every single time, you know. And, and, uh, but finally, the bull wedged himself between a, a row of trees and some strands of barbed wire that made up his pin. So I said, Martha, you whack him in the rear with your stick, and as he pushes forward, I'll drop the rope over his horns, and I'll rope him. And uh, I remember Martha saying, you don't have to do this. And, uh, and I said, Martha, this is no longer about the bull, okay? My manhood is at stake, and I might die doing this today, but I am not going to be beaten by this bull. And so, and so she whacks the bull on the rear with her stick. He pushes forward, and I got the lasso over his horns. And in celebration, I yanked as hard as I could on that bull. And his head came toward me, and he figured out what was going on. And just as quickly, his head went away from me, and he whipped me like a rag doll. <laughs> and, and in that split second, he, that bull pushed his way through two strands of barbed wire back into his pen. He just shredded right into that, that pen. And I stood up and dusted myself off and pretended like that was the plan all along. <laughs> Uh, and I got back to my bike, and I had all these missed calls from Beth Ann. So I called her, and she's like, where have you been? And I said, I've been roping a bull. Where have you been? You know, and, and she couldn't believe what she was hearing. I think she reminded me of the dangers of bull roping. And, and, uh, but, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that, but I think she was impressed. Um, here's, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. That was stupid. I mean, it, it really was. To, to run up to a bull and yell in its face, that's not a good thing to do. But, you know, that bull could have torn me up. When I got that rope around his head and I realized how much power that thing had, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I probably should have been a lot more afraid than I was. But in the moment, I just knew that Martha was in trouble and I needed to help and I didn't care. And I knew I had to do something. 
And in a figurative sense, I wonder this morning if maybe you could recognize a bowl in your own life, a relationship where you're running scared. You know that you need to share what God has done in your life. You know that you need to share the way that Jesus has transformed you. But you're running scared. You're afraid. What is that situation? What's, what's the bowl in your life right now? And I know that, that some of you have a lot more bowl in your life than others. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. But seriously, who is it that, that God has put in your life so that you could share his love with them? And could it be that he is just waiting for you to come awake to the reality of what he has done in you and for you to stop being afraid and to boldly face that bull and to proclaim God's glory in your life? That's what we saw in the story of the blind man. Once Jesus heals him, he's not afraid anymore. And you might say, well, of course, you know, but Jesus healed him. He got his miracle. If Jesus would just heal my sickness or heal my relationships or my marriage or whatever it is, you know, then I'd be motivated to live that way and to share about Jesus too. Why doesn't Jesus just heal me? Why doesn't he fix me? Why doesn't he save this? But Jesus came for a far greater purpose than just physical miracles. Because here's the thing. That blind man that we just heard about, sometime later, he died. And those 5,000 men that we heard about last week that, that Jesus fed, sometime later, they all died. And all those people who Jesus raised from the dead, they all died again. And if all Jesus did was come and address a physical, temporary issue, that wouldn't have really done us any good at all. Because the blind man didn't just have a sight problem, he had a sin problem. And the 5,000 men who Jesus fed, they didn't just have a food insecurity problem, they had an eternal security problem. And if Jesus had come and, and just, you know, took care of the physical need, that wouldn't have done us any good. But what Jesus did for you and I and all of humanity on the cross, it was far greater than what he did for this man's physical need. Everybody wants a miracle. And I want to suggest this morning that there was no greater miracle ever performed than when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And he healed everyone who would believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that he is Lord. He healed us of our sin problem once and for all. The power and the penalty of sin was broken by what Christ did on the cross. And we look forward to the day when even the presence of sin will be no more. And folks, if that's not worth telling about, I don't know what is. Why are we afraid? God is asking us to live lives that will show his glory. And we may not have all of the answers, but one thing we know we were once blind, and now we see. We were dead in our sins, and now we are alive in Christ. And the purpose of your life and mine is to give God the glory that he deserves forever as we share the hope and the love of Christ with everyone that we come into contact with. Because of what Christ has done in us, we have nothing to fear, and we can boldly proclaim his love to others. Let me tell you one simple way that this could play out in your life. This isn't the only way, but this is just one way. We've got a huge opportunity in front of us. Easter is coming, and people who never go to church otherwise will be going to church on Easter Sunday. It's a fact. You may invite them any other Sunday, and they'd blow you off. But there's something about Easter we just know. That's when we go to church. And they may be coming just to punch the card and to do the time. But it may be the one Sunday when eternity has changed for that person. And maybe it involves something as simple as you saying, hey, I'm going to be there. Why don't you come with me? 
And, we, you know, of course it doesn't end there. This isn't invite your friends so that Paul and Ben can tell them about Jesus. No, but what, what a great conversation starter for you to start to share about what Christ has done in your life and why this is important for you on Sundays. We've got some invite cards by uh, the exit doors back there, and I want to encourage you to take some of those as you leave this morning and to have them ready. Be bold. Christ has healed you. He has healed you of all of your sin. And while we will experience temporary brokenness on this earth, we have the promise of wholeness for all of eternity with Christ. And we need to share that. Let's be bold about it. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. He has made all the difference. Father, what do we have to be afraid of? You hold all the power and all of the the authority, and we just repent this morning, Father, some of us, uh, for being afraid of men. What can they possibly do to us? Lord, you have healed us, you have cleansed us, you have redeemed us and restored us, you have called us sons and daughters. Lord God, find us faithful like the blind man was faithful. Find us bold and courageous like he was bold and courageous to stand and to tell of what you have done in us. We may not have all the answers, Lord. In fact, I know that I don't. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Father, would you just remind me this week as I interact with people, and would you remind my brothers and sisters here this morning as they interact with coworkers and friends and family who are far from you, God, that that simple truth may be all that it takes to turn their heart toward you. God, that they would take that first step in knowing you and loving you and knowing your hope and freedom. Would you use us for that purpose? God, we love you. Find us obedient to this. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.